you're listening to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and I believe that every one of you has a wealth of potential just waiting to come out. And I'm here to help you reach that potential. So now, here's the Aim to Win podcast. Welcome to the Aim to Win podcast. I'm Wade Thomas, and today I'm delighted to have Mike, Mark Ashby on with me. Mark is a highly regarded specialist who assists multinational companies and leaders in crisis awareness, cultural change, and high-performance leadership. He has displayed an extraordinary ability to perform optimally under stressful scenarios through extensive experiences as a member of the elite paratroopers and other specialist roles in the Australian Army with operational tours of East Timor. Since returning to the corporate sector and setting up his own consulting firm in Australia, He's been using these experiences to assist senior members of multinational companies in leadership, crisis awareness, and cultural change, so they can become more resilient and adaptable. I recently completed my master's degree with distinction from Macquarie University in Sydney. So welcome to the podcast, Mark. Thanks very much, Wyatt. Uh, Fantastic, and thanks for having me. So I'd like to get started on one question so that everybody knows who's talking to them, and that is, tell your story. How'd you get here, and uh, where are you going? Yeah, essentially, I grew up on the uh, the northern beaches uh, of Sydney uh, in Australia. Uh, very, very sort of tight knit uh, community. It's a very much a surfing community. So that's what I sort of did as a, a child from the age of about five. I think I started um, with my father, and it's what I really did uh, right through into my twenties. I was I was actually a, a competition surfer for many years. And that was where I sort of, you know, saw myself at, at some stage, like a lot of young guys you know, do with that, that sort of upbringing. Um, and I was juggling working in a, in a trade, actually an electrician by trade when I was young, and uh, juggling that with, with, with my surfing and travelling overseas, and, but no real career aspects. And I, I left school a couple of years before my, my, my we call it the high school certificate in Australia, which is your final year. Uh, but, but I left a couple of years early, of course, to get onto a trade, and uh, so I didn't go to university or anything like that. And I, I'd always had, always had a bit of a, uh, a fascination with the military, with the army, especially the specialist sort of side of it. And uh, I just thought to myself when I was in my sort of mid twenties, um, I'm going to go off and, and join the army and see how that goes. And little did I know what the impact that would have on my life. Um, I managed to. Uh, get into one of the, the, the great units in Australia that I loved, which was the uh, the, the paratroopers, and managed to do an uh, operational tour of East Timor, which was fantastic and a, a great experience. Uh, you know, and we, we did a really good job there. Um, of, of course, when the, the Twin Towers came down in New York, uh, it was such a, a big impact on all our lives, especially, you know, I think people in the military at the time. And, and like every soldier at that time, especially in the, the specialist units, you, you want to tour, you want to go where where everybody else is deploying. And they were toing and throwing with my unit about when, you know, whether to go or not. So uh, in the end, I got offered to uh, go to Iraq as a, as a private contractor in um, 2004, um, which was, was really the first time in history that, that the level of private guys had, had gone in to be part of that I suppose, um, arena um, alongside um, full-time soldiers. It's never really happened in history before um, and, and the sheer numbers of, of us over there. And um, I think at first the, the US military thought it was a bit of a hindrance, but they soon learned, I think, after many years that it was actually quite a, an asset to them. 
I got very, very lucky to, to be attached to the, um, the US um, Army, um, actually attached to one of your Green Beret units for a while, and uh, did some f amazing work with them and even did a bit of advising with, with your own State Department. I was uh, actually living in one of the US embassies in, in Iraq for a, for a couple of years, running a, a close protection team there. And then I um, you know, managed to... You know, get onto a big, a big contract that was looking after the reconstruction of Iraq, and we we're taking care of all the US engineers and generally from about sort of the rank of major up to uh, two star generals. And I then completed um, my time over in Iraq. I did four years at the Australian Embassy as a close protection team leader there as well. Uh, we ended up doing 11 years in total in Iraq, uh, 40 rotations, and I think 1,600 missions. So it was, it, it was an incredible time. And uh, we did some amazing stuff over there. You always hear, I suppose, the negative stories, but you don't ever hear the good ones. And we did some amazing work over there, really, really um, defining, defining stuff. I returned to Australia around about 2016, uh, I think, January, and really not knowing what to do with my life. Like a lot of soldiers do, they'll, they'll come back from many, many years away and they have that, that real identity crisis, not knowing what to do with their lives. They're so trained, but they... Have struggle, uh, have, have have you know struggles fitting back into society, and uh, I did a bit of work for the Australian government, and then a friend of mine in the corporate sector suggested that I come and do some work with him in sort of risk management, and he he does a lot of work with the uh, with, with the media sector, so I started going doing a bit of work with them, a bit of uh, a bit of risk management, then that sort of morphed into doing some some talks, almost like TED talk style things, in, in sort of boardrooms. Um, and just doing some uh, sort of mentoring and consulting there, which I really enjoyed, and I found I had a good a, a good knack for it. Um, and I, I had a couple of quite influential people in that arena suggested that I maybe have a have a look at doing it myself. Um, I had another big goal, and that was to go to university to be the first person in my my family to go and sort of do that. So very very luckily for myself i got uh, accepted to university straight to a master's degree which was which is incredible very terrifying <laughs> terrifying at my age at 40 48 years of age to go to university and go straight to a master's but i had an amazing experience there and and beyond my expectations and and that was really helped me and set me up with my business yeah so i launched my own um sort of consulting firm from there where i've, where I've you know stepped into that into that corporate sector using all those years of experience to, to, to be where I'm at now. So, so how did that work? So how did you take the experience that you had all those years and kind of blend it into the corporate world? What lessons did you take over? Yeah, look, I, I soon learned Wade, that, that I wasn't going to be like every other corporate person. I didn't come from some, you know, 20 year, you know, banking background or something like this. Um, you know, I, I wasn't on, on a board or a director. So I'm going to have that different mentality. And, I really, I surround myself with some really good people, some couple of great mentors, and they just were, were very adamant with myself. Don't don't change the way you do things. Just be yourself, and bring over all that that experience you've got. That that working under extreme pressure, um, and and having to to get decisions right. Where for us, we didn't have the ability to just fix a, a poor choice or a mistake and just get it right the next day because ultimately that poor choice could result in someone losing their life or, <laughs> you know, and, and this is the, the reality of what our role was. So we had to be so meticulous in our planning. We, we never, ever um, took assumptions. We never, ever, ever went on hope. We did everything that was fact and, and what we knew. 
And there are a lot of lessons that I that I bring over to the corporate world today. Um, where I'll, you know, it's it's that ability as well to surround yourself with good people and and to get the best out of your people around you. And that's that that real. I know leadership in this day and age, and and the terms like res, you know resilience that they're such big key words now. But I think the levels that we operated at for years are a real testament to those key words because it really it brings out the best in you. And it's a real sink or swim environment, a lot of strong personalities, and it's not for everybody, um, you know, and, and to be in that life and death, uh, I suppose, scenario day in, day out for many, many years, um, you, you've really learned who you are and you learn who your key people are around you and you really learn to enhance that. So and I found I had that, that really good, I suppose, skill to be able to get the best out of people and to turn complex scenarios and make them really simple, which is something I really enjoy doing. I actually love doing it. I love nothing more than having that, that ability to go in and uh, whether it's somebody who's at that senior management level or into the board or even the CEO level, somebody who's having maybe a rough time or a bit of self-doubt, insecurities, because we all have them. And it's about helping that that person to to achieve, you know. Basically, I, I love helping people achieve what they maybe thought was unachievable. I get a real kick out of that. Yeah. So, how do how does a leader get the best out of people? I think you have to, from my experiences, you have to lead from the front. There's no point pointing your finger and telling everybody what to do and not doing it yourself. You've got to be prepared to do it yourself. You've got to have to be a person. I mean, most leaders have been there at the bottom. They've learnt. They've learnt how to be a leader. That hasn't happened by accident. They've done it through years and years of hard work or going to university, sacrifice. So they know what it takes. But I find a lot of the ones that I work with, they've lost their way a little bit. They've maybe forgotten where they came from, where they started. And it's about it's about reticking over that 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 mindset, that mindset, and shifting that paradigm a little bit with them and uh, making them actually realize again what they do and how they can be an inspiration to their people because the great leaders that I work with, and I work with some fantastic leaders in my, in my life, they inspired their, their people. And it's the old story. If you've got great management or great leaders, you'll, you'll follow them anywhere. And in the corporate sector, that, that really enhances productivity and, and happiness and, and it makes such a, an easier place to work, which makes you want to be a better person in your, in your workforce. And that's how I find that leaders can really, really benefit from that, that attitude. Yeah, makes a big difference. Yeah, I, I think massive. So, what, one of the things you mentioned was resilience, and, and talk a little bit more about that. Why is resilience important, and and maybe how do you develop that? Well, I, I think uh, resilience have dis- has different layers, um, without a doubt. And like I said, it's a word that's tossed around a lot today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all display it in some form or another. The last few years for us, for the whole. Well, we've had to, people have probably had to dig into levels of or forms of resistance they probably never realized they even had. Whether mm-hmm. it's in small business trying to survive, um, just people trying to pay their mortgage off, it can be anything. And it's that ability to, to, to forge through tough times, to forge through, you know, hurdles and obstacles and, and to get the best out of yourself. But I mean, for us working on that operational sphere, it was about working in terrible conditions, you know, you're away from your family and friends. You're working in extreme heat, um, you know, dusty, horrible, filthy conditions, and it's the ability to perform, but also perform at a at a level every day, and that, that's where resilience really kicks in. Where you're not just surviving, you're actually thriving. And for us, we had to. We couldn't just relax and take it easy. And these are a lot of the lessons that I pass on today. 
um, and I think it's it's super important. And I think people and a lot of leaders they underestimate underestimate their own levels of, of resilience, what they can actually do as well. Until they're actually pushed to that limit, like we were, and you think, okay, I can actually do this. And it's made people. It's, a, it's about making people believe in themselves. Do Do you find that leaders are able to do that? That they're able to push people to that next level? I, I think, yeah, it's a great question. I, and I think the real honest answer is some can and some can't. And I think we're all not, we're all, we're not the same. All, all humans are different in our own spheres. We all have our own strengths and weaknesses. It's about really enhancing people that have real strengths and people that have weaknesses about working with that weakness, trying to make it better. And if, if it doesn't work in that arena, about maybe shifting left and right where they can be utilized and how we can make that person better rather than just pushing that person aside and saying they're in the too hard basket. With leaders, I think not everyone is, um, you know, it's a real, real sort of catch that that leadership role because some people are just born leaders. They just lead so fantastic. And other ones, I think, learn to be great leaders. But uh, I think other ones when also maybe struggle when the real, the real pressure comes on. And it's a tough job being that leader, being in front of people and having responsibility, responsibility for people's, you know, livelihoods. And to also be that person that they admire, it's you know, and it's all about the, the legacy that they want to leave, um, how they want to be remembered. But I, I think it's a really tough one. But you've got to, you've got to take the time. You've got to sit back as a person like myself. And what I love to do is is listen to them, sit back and listen to who they are. I love to find out a bit about their personal lives, and then I hear some pros and cons about getting too personal with your clients and, and people that you work with like this. I've always found that I've tried to get a, a little bit closer and to find out who they are because that way it makes, it makes that relationship closer and it makes you want to get the best out of that person. And uh, that's how I operated for years overseas with my, my own guys. I got to know them so well because then they, you'd have to micromanage those people. Those people then you just steer the ship and they do all their respective roles and you've got to have that trust in those people to do their roles. You've got to give them a little bit of a rope. Yeah, and that's how it, getting to know them is so important, and you know, having that empathy, and then that does build absolutely. For a great word, I love. I know, I know something empathy gets thrown around a lot, but it's a great word. I, you have to have that as in the human element. You've got to have that empathetic side, and even if to a, to a CEO, the, we've all got our our own, like I said, in little insecurities and fears in life. We all do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you've been doing leadership for a long time now. Um, yeah, yeah, in different spheres. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was leading teams, you know, you know, I suppose in the army, and and uh, really, I suppose I came to the fore with that um, when I was in the Middle East leading teams. And like I said, it was a tough job because you've got those, and I call them souls. You've got those souls under your watch, and you want to get those people home to their their, their families and their children. Um, and it's a big responsibility. And when you're put into that role, everybody over there wants to be, they want to be team leaders. They want to be the boss. And But I saw so many great soldiers be put in as team leaders and really struggle with it because it's the responsibility. It, it overwhelms them. And it's like, oh, oh, wow, now I'm actually in the front. I'm now doing this for real. And I had that same feeling at the start, but I learned how to adjust and I I took advice and and uh, really um, you know, threw myself into that role and, and I, and I loved it. And I loved having that responsibility. And, and I was probably one of my greatest things that I'm proud of in, in my time over there that I never never lost anybody. So it was a great uh, a great achievement. Yeah, it is a great achievement. That's all I can ask for, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's all I cared about, getting everybody home safely. Yeah. And, so, and it's the same for me now. It's the same for me now in the corporate world. You, you, want to, you want to look after the people you work with, you know, absolutely. 
you, you don't want to be that that person that uh you know is just there for the money if you don't have their best interests in heart then then you're wasting your time and their time yeah yeah absolutely so how have you seen leadership change over the years i think with the the generational change um massive changes i mean i'm i'm 52 now so I've seen also those big changes from when I grew up in the 80s to what I suppose that little bit of leadership to, uh, you know, to, to the, through that 90s. And I think technology and the, the new generation, how people are so connected across the world now. I mean, look, look at you and I, we can talk like this on opposite sides of the world where back when I was, in, when I was growing up, you, you couldn't do that. We, we didn't even dream of that. And I think that has really shifted um, the, whole, the whole mindset with a, a lot of, I suppose young people are coming through now, and I think a lot of leaders are going to have to adjust to that. I think technology is a, is a big defining factor there, and and the, the the real social changes we have in the world. And I think you have a lot of leaders have really had to pivot and adjust to that and adapt, or they're just going to they're just going to be pushed to the wayside. And I think there's a lot more awareness now, I suppose, of how you have to act. Um, a lot more uh, females coming into the leadership sectors. Which I think is a great thing. I, I looked after some um, wonderful ladies overseas. I looked after a female ambassador, lady ambassador for four years. Unbelievable lady. So I, I think it's great that that sort of shift is, is happening as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you know, when, when you were overseas, you dealt with a lot of like high pressure, stressful environments. Um, how does one perform or lead optimally in that situation? I think you've got to be very, very clear on one your objectives. You've got to be very clear um, your strengths, your weaknesses, the team that surrounds you. You've got to do your your absolute homework, your mission planning to a T, and you've got to believe that you are better. You've got to believe in yourself that you are, without being arrogant about it. You've got to believe that you are better and superior to what you're facing. You can't go out there with. with I suppose insecurities, thinking, um, you know, are these people, and we'll call them people, you know, better than me. Mm -hmm. And it's not, you're not playing a game of baseball or, or basketball where it, it's, it's different, you know, because it's, it's lives at stake here. So you've really got to believe that you're better and you've got to have that total faith in your team. Um, and you've got to, you know, believe that every single time you go out there out to that, that, that red zone, that you'll be coming back that afternoon and you've got to have that faith. But a lot of it's uh, a lot of it comes down to planning. You know, you, you can't bluff your way over there. And I think that's a real big word that, that oh, I've always liked that word bluffing because I think if you're bluffing your case, it's, you're going to be exposed. Okay. Mm -hmm. And and that was that was really a, a big part of it um, in that environment. And like I said, there was nowhere to hide. You know, and you can either you can either do that role and do it successfully. Um, or, or you can't, and it's it's something. It takes time. It takes time to be good at it. You know, you've got to really immerse yourself in it, and you've got to be open to um, to making mistakes. Because we do make mistakes in, in in that environment, like we do in, in normal life. But it's about really learning from those mistakes, and and you know, never make them ever again. And, and to ensure that you know that because the the, the pressure you have on you over there um, every day, it's it's incredible. I think the statistic was that. Uh, the the US Army at the time I was with over there, they worked out that we had a, I think it was around about a 7% chance every time we went outside of losing our lives. Hmm. 
because the amount of times we were, we were under contact or we were involved in situations where, you know, all the, all the roadside bombings and car bombs, we had a 7% chance each time we went out of, of being hit or, or losing our life. Now, if you thrust that upon the average person and said to them, you go to work Monday morning, you're going to have a 7% chance of losing your life. And they think 7%. Well, okay, that isn't that much. But then you say, yeah, but the next day it's the same and the next day it's the same and eventually your number's going to come up. And it's it's a really, I suppose, mind-bending um, scenario for a lot of people. And uh, it's one of those things where not many people can really operate under those circumstances and operate effectively with a clear mind and, and to get that job done. Yeah, that's, that's high pressure, right? It's massive pressure. It's the pressure that you'll, you'll never experience and it's a pressure that I've never felt like in my life and I'll probably never feel like it again. That's that's why now I don't worry about it so much. I I just, uh, you know, it's just not worth it because that, that that's pressure that you just don't want every day. Yeah. So how can you relate that to the business world? Obviously, um, in most businesses, the 7% seven, the 7 number is not there. But how do, you, yeah. how do you relate that kind of pressure to uh, what business people see? Yeah, I, I think with, with the whole business world, it's um, it's all about, and I use a lot of military mindset still and that operator mindset still where it's that, a lot of terms you may have heard, things like you know, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. It's about taking a step back and actually really looking at what you're doing, the decision you're making. And I have one of my methods. It's a methodology that I have, and it's it's called the Diamond Methodology. And it's basically learning how to collapse an emotional charge so you can become a more effective leader. It's about taking the emotion out of decisions, as we did overseas on the job, and looking at the negative and the positive aspect of every decision you make. So if you have a big decision to make, um, I mean, a good example would be is that, that if you were to lose a an exec in the business, and that exec has maybe been causing a bit of trouble, a bit of a toxic environment, and that person has either left or been fired. And, of course, if you go and ask the workforce in that environment, are you happy that person's gone? They're going to go, yeah, it's fantastic that person's gone. And that's and that's because they're being – that's their positive look on it. Then you look at the negative aspect of that is, okay, that person's gone, but there's now a hole. Maybe that person looked after all the tenders, the contracts, they had all the contacts, and who's going to replace them? So this is where you're looking at the – the positives and negatives of both aspects, and I take that into a lot of the work I do, especially with um, sort of the exec level, and that, and that's that methodology that we've got, and it works. It's amazing when you really break it down and take it's taking that emotion out of decisions. Yeah, very analytical approach. Yeah, it's very systemized, and and it's part of my program. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's really good. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, experiences that that I've that we've put down into that methodology and um, it's a lot of it's very relatable and, and I think the people are really surprised how relatable it is to this normal life. Yeah, just a different, different stakes. Absolutely. It's all it is, just different stakes. But, you know, like life itself isn't easy. It's hard and we're all trying to do the best we can and it's just about, um, you know, for me, it's about showing up because, when you're in that environment and you lose people that you know, you lose friends on a regular basis, it, it's a very, very tough environment and it makes you really, really appreciate the small things in life. And for me, if I can go and work with a some sort of a leader in that role and have an effect on that, on that person's life, to me, it's been a good day out. It's a, it's a good day. Yeah, excellent. So, yeah. so you try to take the emotions out of that decision-making, but a lot of times it's difficult. 
So what yeah. advice do you have for people that are dealing with emotions when they have a big decision to make? Look, I, I think the biggest thing, you've got to put everything in context. You've got to just, like I said, slow things down and you've, you've got to make that person really realise. Um, it, it's hard if it's at a junior level and the, the problem is above. It's very easy when you go into a, an organisation and you've got buy-in from the top. If you've got buy-in from the top, then that's very easy because from the top wants that problem fixed or rectified. But when you've got that problem at the top, um, it, it can be a real task. And, and some people, unfortunately, just don't want to be fixed. Um, it's like self-destruct mission. And you see it, and you'll see it when you start working with them. You just be like, they just don't want to be helped. And, and that's, that's, that's the, uh, the skill you have, I suppose, that not everyone has that skill. Um, I've always found I've got a pretty good rapport with people like that, that I can really get into their personal space and take them away from that professional environment and make them realise back to front what's going on. Um, you know, it's, it's a, like I said, it's, it's a bit of a skill I learned, I think, from being overseas and working with all different types of people from different nationalities and different races, religions, and you've got to be tolerant of everybody. Everyone's got their different breaking points. But I try and really um, take them away from that professional environment and, and when you return to the professional environment, you've hopefully changed their, their mindset around a bit. And that, that's my sort of um, my, my take on it, the way that I do it. I really, I really get to know them one on one and listen with them. And I, the thing with guys like myself, we're not as in, in fear of those senior people because we've, we've, met, we've met and worked with very senior people you know, yeah. you know, at, at the highest level. So if to us, there's no excuse if you want to carry on in that way. And you're a CEO. To me, there's no excuse. You've got to be responsible, and, and you've got to be respectful to your people, and respectful to yourself. You know, remember where you came from. You know, why did you start this business in the first place? And 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 you know, are you happy? Are you happy in your day to day life? Are you happy coming to work on a Monday morning? And that's ultimately what we all want, isn't it? We all want to be happy. So that's that's the way that I go about it. Anyway, <laughs> I hope that answered your question. It's a tough one, that one. <laughs> yeah, but it's um. You know, I think you put it well, though. I mean, are you that question? Are you happy? Is a, a pretty good question. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you can wait, I mean, I, I've I've been very, very blessed, Wade. You know, with my career and, and blessed with the people I've worked with, and and uh, that I'm still here, number one, and that I get to do what I love. I, I love what I do. Um, and like I said, I, I love nothing more than having a, having a having a positive effect on somebody. You maybe change someone's turn their life around. Yeah, excellent. So I have one more question before I let you get out of here, and that is, how do people find you? Yeah, so uh, uh, very simple. Um, my, my direct email for my business is uh, Mark, that's Mark with a K, at markashbyconsulting.com, just one word. And my business is uh, just markashbyconsulting.com. Um, your listeners can go on there, and I've got a free masterclass they can listen to it's on my dollar methodology and it's about a 15 minute talk and they can just have a listen um and they can find me on linkedin as well it's just mark ashby uh, consulting on linkedin so and i'd yeah i'd love to love to uh any of your listeners want to get in touch with me i'd love to speak to them all right excellent and uh, we'll link all it up in the show notes so that uh, everybody's got it yeah fantastic i want to thank you for taking your time today a lot of a lot of good advice good perspective yeah, oh, look, it's been lovely talking to you, Wade. Yeah, even though we're on the opposite sides of the world, I've got a very big um, history with your with your country, with with the US, and uh, so I've got a bit, bit of a bit of a place in my heart there for all, all the, uh, the the times that I, that I spent with them. So it's uh, yeah, it's been fantastic talking to you. Thanks very much. Excellent, enjoyed it, and thank you for listening to the Aim to Win podcast. As always, 
like us, follow us, all that good stuff, wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. Mm-hmm.